which is freedom in Christ. Remember, we started looking at that. This is a great book of Christian freedom, what it means to be free in Jesus. And uh, the first message I preached was called Jesus Plus Nothing, that we don't have anything to add to the gospel. We simply preach Christ, and we trust that as we preach Christ, uh, He transforms people by the power of His Holy Spirit. And that's really the message that we have. That's the only message that we have to proclaim, and we want to consistently be doing that as a local church congregation. And then... I spoke to you the second time and just talked a little bit about Paul's testimony, about his story and how he uses his story as a picture of the gospel. And that really Paul's story of his salvation is an illustration to us of what the gospel is and how the gospel transforms us. And so I want to look at that uh, again this morning. And the, the title of my message this morning is Grace That Changes Us. Grace That Changes Us. And as we think about the new year, I just want to encourage you with these things. Um, Two simple things. There are some things that don't change, all right? And as we look at out of 2014 into 2015, I hope there's some things in your life that will not change. I hope that you would still be responding to the things that God said to you last year and trying to allow those to be more and more in place in your life. There are good things that you can resolve to do. If you need to exercise this year, I want to encourage you, exercise. That's a great resolution. That's a wonderful thing. But... I've found this, that patience, kindness, and uh, self-control do not just happen in your life because you resolve that they're going to (laughs) happen. Would you agree? I mean, you can resolve all you like this year to be, um, this is going to be the year of self-control, patience, and kindness in my family. Unless it's an ongoing work of grace in our lives, we are going to fail tomorrow. Yeah? Yeah? And so I want to encourage you, that's what I mean, that there are ongoing works of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we take with us as we go into the future, and certainly there are some things that we can resolve to do. And and if you've made some resolutions this year about some things that you want to do, I commend you and I say, go for it. But let's carry God's grace with us into the new year, right? And what I want to talk to you about this morning really is about grace that transforms us and continues to transform us. When I, when I first um, preached this message a couple of weeks ago now, about Paul's story, I said three things, and I just want to remind you of them. First, Paul refutes the idea that he just um, kind of stumbled his way into the gospel by his own thinking, his own reasoning, and his own uh, reflection. Remember? He makes it quite clear in this portion that actually he wasn't thinking about Jesus. He was trying to kill Christians. He didn't kind of come into the, into the faith by kind of, you know, debating with himself. It was a revelation that, ha- that happened by the power of the Holy Spirit when he met Jesus. Secondly, <clears throat> I pointed you to the fact that Paul refutes the claim that his gospel message was derived by what he heard from others, that he had heard this message from others and uh, he thought it was a good idea, so he picked up on it and started thinking about Jesus. No, he says quite clearly, he says, this message I received was revelation from God. I didn't receive this from any man. And thirdly, he said, um, I, I, I pointed out that his, the message that he said he received from God checked out with the other apostles, and he makes a point of that in verse 18 and verse 19 to say that he had checked out this message with Peter and James and it was the same message that they had received. And so, as we look at three other things this morning that are key in terms of Paul's story, and that will help us as we think about the new year, I want to just remind you of this little phrase, that the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. If you want to, if you want to become more and more like Christ, I want to encourage you to open your heart more and more to the Holy Spirit, and He's the one who transforms us from the inside. 
And so it's not just that we get saved by believing in Jesus, it's that we are transformed by believing in Jesus, it's that we are kept until the day that Christ comes, or until we go to heaven, we are kept by that same message, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? The good news of Jesus. And I want to encourage you with that. And I just on reflecting <clears throat> again on this amazing testimony of Paul's, how he got saved, it really is a breathtaking story of God's grace to save sinners. Like Paul. Um, God is so kind that he, he offers his grace to the proud, to the religious, to the God-hating, to the church-hating, like Paul, and he saves them. Does that encourage you? It encourages me because, you know, sometimes in, um, in our culture we think, oh, that person is so far from God, he, he's not gonna be, he can't possibly be saved. He's just too hard-hearted, he or she, or whatever. They, they just they re, re, um, are hard to the gospel. We're never going to be, see them saved. And I was so encouraged. I've watched a lot of movies over this holiday time. And one of the things that I did was I watched a documentary of C.S. Lewis, who really was a remarkable man. He was a world-famous atheist, educated at Oxford, and for many, many years didn't have any kind of faith at all. And over a period of time... He started to warm to the idea, or God started to speak to him, to, to Lewis about who he was. And he started to, eventually, over a period of years, he began to believe, yes, there is a God in heaven. And he, he was open to the idea of God and, and the universe being created by a creator. But still, he resisted the idea that Jesus was the Son of God. He thought it was absolutely preposterous. And he was contemplating this for many, many years. And how many of you have taken your children to Whipsnade Zoo? You all know the road to Whipsnade Zoo. Well, here's the thing about the road to Whipsnade Zoo. It was the road on which C.S. Lewis was saved. Isn't that amazing? If you read his story, when he left Oxford one day with his family to take his brother and um, the people in their family, immediate family, they were going to Whipsnade Zoo, they left Oxford. When he left Oxford, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. His own, his own testimony says, when he arrived that day at Whipsnade Zoo, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Something happened while he was traveling from Oxford in his head and his heart at all the things that he had been thinking about and contemplating for so many years suddenly dropped into his head, from his head into his heart and he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. You see, this is the thing about the gospel. This is the thing about the Christian message. It never remains an intellectual assent to who Jesus is. Something always happens in the heart. Always. That transforms us. And this guy who was doing this uh, t television program on Lewis, he said this. He said, C.S. Lewis was always known as a great intellect, a great mind. And yet those who knew him and loved him knew that he was a man who always lived from his heart. I love that. Great intellects, very intelligent people. There's something about, we do need to love God with our minds. We do need to understand things. But there's something that needs to happen in our hearts. And that's what uh, happened in Paul's heart on the road to Damascus. So this story of Paul... T tells us not only who Paul was and how he was converted, but it also shows us what a life that is transformed under the grace of God looks like. And I want to encourage you, 
as you walk with Jesus, whether you are far from him, whether you would say to me this morning, and I don't believe anything that you're saying this morning, or whether you've walked with Jesus for a while, I want to encourage you that this story of Paul will encourage you, because it's really encouraged me as I've looked at it again. And I want to say three things this morning, and then I want to close with a fourth thought. But three main things. Three things, additional things we can learn from Paul's story. First, in verse 16, Paul says, God who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. Well, the obvious question is, how did God reveal himself to Paul? And you know the story well. He was, in, in, in very directly, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had this experience with the risen Christ. And um, that's the way that God obviously revealed Jesus to Paul. But in that moment, Paul not only understood who Jesus was, he also understood he had, had this personal encounter with Christ. And as soon as he understood who Jesus was, he understood also that he had been called to show others who Jesus was. So he says, this grace that I received that helped me to see who Jesus was, immediately understood at that moment that he also had to tell other people about this grace that he received through Christ. And what does that show us? Well, simply, I want to put it to you, it shows the critical difference between a religious moral person and a Christian. It shows us immediately the difference between a moral uh, religious person and a Christian. Being a Christian is much more than just intellectual belief or assent It's about personal relationship with Jesus. That's what being a Christian is about. And so, people that are Christians, that have come to faith, understand that their salvation is not just about themselves. It's not just so that they can have peace and joy and uh, forgiveness from sins, which are all wonderful benefits of salvation. But being saved also means that the same grace that we've received, we communicate that to other people with joy. And so part of what I want to challenge you with and challenge myself this, with as we look into the new year is how much can we share our stories of what Jesus has done with us, with other people this year. We're trusting that this is going to be a fruitful year for this church Amen. and on every level. And that includes that we want to see many saved. Well, how are we going to see many saved? It's going to be, we're going to see many saved as each of us, you and I, all of us, share our stories of what Jesus has done for us with others. That's how it's going to happen. Yes? All of us are priests, and that's how it's going to happen. So, this is the first thing I want to say this morning, out of Paul's testimony. The same grace that Paul received, he realized, that same grace was there to enable him to speak to others about Jesus. Second, in verse 17, we see this. We see something of Paul's growth and Paul's discipleship, how he grew, how grace transformed him. And so there's this portion that we read this morning that says he went for a time, he went into Arabia for three years, he had a solitary time, and I have to presume that when he was alone in Arabia, there were many big cities. So I don't think he was kind of living like a hermit, but he went to, to be out by himself, to think, to compl- contemplate, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And I would presume that what he received from God in those three years was what he taught, that God gave him amazing revelation. And uh, so he had this time of, of, of uh, stilling his heart so that God could speak to him. And I want to encourage you, secondly, this year, as we, as we look to the new year, can you give yourself time? Will you give yourself time this year to develop your own relationship with God? 
to develop your own relationship with God. And it's a simple thing. Um, you know, our society, our community doesn't value reflection. It doesn't value contemplation. It values action. Doesn't it? So if you read the internet, uh, there's a gazillion New Year's resolutions that people are making. It's all about action. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. I haven't seen anyone who's just said, you know, this year I'm going to let God speak to me. <laughs> I'm going to contemplate who He is. I'm going to glory in who He is. I'm going to let the glory of Christ or the glory of God speak into my very soul, my very being, and transform me. Before I do anything... And so I want to encourage you that you would allow God this year by the power of the Holy Spirit to take you on a journey. And I know these are buzzwords, I know that. But that you would enjoy the journey that God has for you this year. That you would open yourself even more than you have in the past to the power of the Holy Spirit so that He can transform you from the inside. That you'll take time out to reflect on who He is that you take time out to contemplate His greatness, His majesty, His awe, His power. If you need God to transform your marriage, I want to encourage you that you contemplate His glory. And as you see the bigness of who God is, all the other things will fall into place. Isn't that right? This is counter-cultural. The the culture says we we must take action. And five steps to becoming this, and ten steps to becoming that. And some of those things are helpful, but I want to say to you, at the end of the day, the most powerful thing is the transforming grace of God in your life and in my life as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember what I said to you a couple of um, months ago? We were talking about prayer. And I said to you in Matthew 6, Jesus encourages us and he says, When you pray... And as we think about fasting in the next couple of weeks, when you pray, shut the door. Go behind where nobody sees, where no one can see you praying or hear you praying, and speak to your Father in heaven and He will hear you. And I encourage you, I said that's like, um, uh, Henry, no one used that word, that phrase. It's opening your hands. It's letting God into the inside of you. It's opening your hands. It's letting go of control. It's saying, Lord Jesus, this year I'm opening my hands. I'm saying I want you to be in control. Yeah? It's a scary thing. (laughs) But it's a powerful thing. It's the thing that is going to transform us. And so then, uh, I want to say this out of, secondly, I'm not saying that we have to be, um, as we contemplate God and as we uh, learn from Paul, I'm not saying that we remove ourselves from people. I'm not saying that we try and be Christians by ourselves. I'm not saying, I'm saying Paul knew that he needed the church. That's why he went to Jerusalem. He knew he needed to be unified with other believers. He knew that he needed to check out what he was preaching and teaching, that it was what the other apostles were teaching. So we seek God ourselves, but we join ourselves with other Christians in community and we work it out. Are you with me? Unity is primary, and Paul understood that from the very, very beginning. And so I want to encourage you, this year, to deeply, deeply root yourself in this church community, if this is your church community, and to avoid cherry-picking from this church community and that community and this internet message, what I need here, what I need there, and to be grafted in to a cohesive community of other believers. Why? Because that is what is going to produce fruit. And that's just what Paul actually says 
um, in this portion. He says, all the other Christians praised God because of me, because of what they saw God was doing with me. That I had persecuted the church, I had killed Christians, I was now transformed, and now the very gospel that uh, transformed me, I'm proclaiming to others, and it's changing other communities. This is what Paul says, and he says, others gave glory because of me. He understood the church, he understood right from the very beginning. And so, the Christian life really is that we are rooted in relationship with Jesus, that we are planted in a family, in unity, where we can serve other believers, and that we can become fruitful, which is the praise of God. And I want to encourage you that this year is going to be a fruitful year, as we continue to root ourselves in Christ, love each other, fruitful come into this community. Amen? And thirdly, my third point is simply this, and really, these first two points are ready to introduce this main point, which is that grace changes us. Grace changes us. And really, it's encapsulated in one verse, where Paul says, in verse 10, he asks a simple question, am I trying now to win the approval of man? Or am I trying to win the approval of God? You ask that simple question. And the answer obviously is God. He's trying to please God. That's the key to the gospel. It's the key to understanding Jesus and his will for our lives. This is the key. The gospel removes a man-pleasing spirit in us. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, it removes that desire in us to seek the desire and approval of others. It's exactly the opposite. It's not seeking human approval for what I do. In other words, people that believe in Jesus become confident and fearless followers of Christ who do what is right and do what God wants them to do without being concerned about whether other people approve of it or not. It's not that we're trying to offend others. It's just we simply value what God says above what anyone else says. And so we're not trying to become people pleasers. We are trying, above all things, to please God. For this year, I want to encourage you as you stand on the, on the, in the first week of January, what is God saying to you about your life that you need to say, Jesus, this one thing I'm going to do this year because it pleases you. Because I want to please you. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. Not in a horrible way. I value what you say more than what anyone else thinks. This thing that you have for me, I'm going to do that with all my heart. And you see, I want to say to you this morning that to be a person of faith, to be a person that loves Jesus, means that you cannot be a person that's trying to please other people. You can't be a man pleaser. And you see, the Bible speaks about this over and over again in various ways. If you look from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Proverbs 29.25 says, A fear of man will prove to be a snare. That's what it says. Why? Simply because the fear of people is opposite to the fear of God. In the Old Testament, to fear God didn't mean to be afraid of God necessarily. It meant to be in awe of who he was. It meant to have a heart of worship. It meant to, to value him above everything else. That's what it meant, to fear God. You, you, you are drawn in worship to the greatness of God. That's what it meant to fear Him. And so I put it to you that to fear man 
means to have a particular view of a person or group of people that causes you to elevate who they are and the importance of who they are in your life, to hold them in awe and to crave their approval and to fear their disapproval as, as, if, as if they disapprove of you. It's like God himself is rebuking you. You with me? That's a fear of man. And it comes down to this thing that if we have a fear of man, there's, uh, we give them a right, we give people the right or the power over our heart that only God should have. And it means when you don't have people's approval and you don't have their, uh, their stamp, you feel absolutely devastated. I want to encourage you this, as you think about this um, year. Are there any relationships in your life like that that make you feel devastated when... Uh, when you don't have this person's approval. Because I want to say to you, I don't think that's a healthy thing. We want to have God's approval, yeah? I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm just saying, there are relationships in my life which I've had to look at and say, well, actually, why do I need that person's approval so much? It's not a good thing. Actually, I want to do what God wants more than what they want. And so... There's, a, again, I can point you to um, other examples of this. Uh, Saul disobeys God in 1 Samuel 15, 24. Why? Because he was afraid of what the people thought. He was afraid of public opinion, so he disobeyed God. What about Samson giving in to Delilah? He was motivated by fear. <laughs> he wanted her sexual attention. <laughs> That's why he disobeyed God. He wanted her sexual attention more than he wanted what God had for him. And what about Colossians 3.22? Paul reminds us of a very common expression of this kind of fear of man. He says this, Bond servants, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says it twice. Ephesians 6.6 6 and Colossians 3.22. What does it mean to serve someone our service? What does that mean? Well, it simply means that you only do a job, you only do a, 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 an employment or whatever to the degree of the reward that you receive from other people when they see you do it. So the problem with that is that you're only going to produce the kind of work that um, is good when other people are seeing what you're doing. So it, it leads to inconsistent, shoddy, half-hearted work. And you never have the satisfaction of just doing something because it, it's worth it to do it well. And so that's why Paul says, um, don't be a, when you're doing something, don't be a, doing it as an, a people pleaser, someone who's giving our service, who's looking for people's affirmation as you do it. No, just seek the affirmation of God and do things with, with all of your hearts. Um, why? Because we, we are living for that wonderful acclamation of Christ on the last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what we're living for. You see, we, in the worship this morning, the theme of the robes of righteousness that we've received was something that came through. Did you notice that? And it's because we have been made righteous in Christ already that we can please Him. And I love Romans 12, verse 1, which um, Paul says, "...be transformed by the renewing of your mind." And offer up your body a living sacrifice. This is your acceptable worship to God. Remember that. Um, and so we can only do that because we already have been approved. God has already saved us. We're already sons. We're already his, his daughters. And uh, I love watching my boys play sport or making music, enjoying themselves. 
And as I watch them do that, I love them completely. And I hope that they would know that my love for them doesn't change whether they play well or badly, or whether they make a mistake when they're performing or not. My love doesn't change for them. Why? Because I love them completely already. (laughs) But I love to see them having fun. (laughs) I love it when they're playing sport or playing music and they're having a great time. I love that. Why? Because a father loves to see his sons having a good time. And that's exactly how God is with us. Exactly how God is with us. He doesn't stop loving us when we don't perform well when we lose our temper, or when we make a mistake. His love for us does not change. It is constant. It is affirmed. Because of who we are in Christ, we are His sons, we are His daughters. He loves us perfectly, and that never changes. Ever. This is the good news. Even when you mess up, His love for you doesn't change. But serving Him, and loving Him, and doing our best for Him, because we love Him is a completely different thing than slavishly doing something because we want the approval of God. We already have His approval. Do you hear what I'm trying to say this morning? It's living from a different place. It's living out of gratitude. It's living out of worship. It's living out of approval, not out of a fear of disapproval. And that is such a powerful, powerful thing to think about as we move into the new year. Lastly, Why does Paul tell his story, and why should you and I tell our stories? Those are the three things that we've looked at this morning, in terms of his own conversion. But why does Paul tell his story, and why should you and I tell our story? Well, Paul doesn't tell his story out of habit. He's not sharing his story with others to try and impress them. He's not trying to inspire them. He's not not trying to put the spotlight onto himself and say, Look at me, Paul, what a great salvation I've enjoyed. He only shares his story because he believes that in telling his story, it's going to help other people to find Jesus. That's the only reason he tells his story. He has no desire to attract attention to himself. He's completely focused on those that he's trying to speak to. And he's not trying to boost his own ego. He's just trying to tell his story to help these people that are his friends. And so I want to ask you at the beginning of this year, what about you? What about me? Are we regularly telling our story of what Jesus has done for us? Will you tell your story this year? Will you share your faith with your friends, with your family, perhaps to your husband and wife who has resisted the gospel for years, who thinks you, you are, they love you because um, you're their husband or your wife, but they kind of don't really hold to what you hold to. You know, Paul's a great example. It takes great courage to share your faith. I want, to, I want to encourage you to find grace that you can share your story this year. To have courage to be open and vulnerable about your own life and to speak personally about what Jesus has done and what the gospel has done for you. Why do I say that? I don't just say that willy-nilly. Because this is, this is the reason. The Christian faith is about our whole lives. Isn't it? It's about everything. It's about our life, our emotions, our intellect, our relationships. The Christian life is about all of who we are. And so, when Jesus comes and transforms us, He transforms everything about us. Our hearts, our lives, our emotions, the way we react to people, He starts to transform all of those things. And to not respond and tell what Jesus has done in our hearts is to, is to in fact, 
give an incomplete picture of what the Christian faith is to other people. Why? Because the gospel has transformed our hearts as well, surely. It's not just intellectual ascent to the cross, it's what Jesus has done in our hearts. And that affects how I feel, that affects what I value, it affects what I say, how I express my emotions. And so remember what I said at the beginning about um, Lewis. He was a great mind, a great intellect, but he lived from the heart. And it is true that different cultures and different personalities can emphasize either the head or the heart. And if you are a head person this morning, if you think about things, I want to encourage you, that's a brilliant thing. Love God with your mind. Be sure that you understand everything that you can possibly understand. But I want to encourage you to let God into your heart. Do you know why I say that? I can't tell you how many adults I've counseled, men in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who will, with tears in their eyes will say, you know, I know my dad loved me. I know he did. I just wish he would have said that he loved me. Why? It's not just intellectually assenting to loving someone. When you love someone, you tell them, and you hug them, and you kiss them, and you hold them to show that you love them. Same with God. It's not just intellectual assent, it's an issue of the heart. So I want to encourage you, if you're a head person this morning, to let God into your heart. On the other hand, I also want to say this to you. If you're a heart person, also think a little bit. Yes? If you're a heart person, give some time to thinking. You know what is... I I, I don't want to um, annoy anyone this morning. It's the beginning of the year, isn't it? How difficult is it to work with people that are always flying off the handle? And then they say to you, I'm just an emotional person. This is who I am. Accept me for who I am. I'm full of emotion. Yes, that's good. It's good to be full of emotion. But there's also self-control that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit that we think about what we say before we say it. Why? Because what we say hurts people. What we say damages people. And we need both. I, I hold to this. We need the radical middle. Full of mind. Full of thinking. Full of contemplating mysteries of the universe. And we have warm, soft, fuzzy, emotional hearts that respond to God and His goodness and His kindness and His love. Why one or the other? Both and. This is the power of the gospel. Transforms people that are moral, religious uptight, people that can't express their love to anybody, transforms them to warm, loving people that can do that. That transforms an angry person who's just fighting with everybody, transforms that person to a self-controlled individual who can still express his emotions and love God at the same time. This is amazing grace. (laughs) This is the gospel of Jesus. Amen? So, will you tell your story this year? Will you tell others what God has done in your heart? And I want to break bread this morning. And can I ask you, just think about three things as we break bread this morning. One, how can you best live your life that people will respect and praise God because of you? 
I love that thought that Paul offers at the end. He said, all the people were praising God because of what they saw God had used me for. That I had hated Christians who were killing them and now I was preaching this gospel and people were being transformed. What about yawn my life? Can, how can we live this year in, that people will praise God and say, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I know Colin. Man, when I see Colin, I see, I see something of God. Or whoever, whoever it is. Chitty, at school, teaching the kids, that they can say, I'm so glad that Chitty's teaching me, because I see something of God. Secondly, as we break bread, are you ever tempted to fear men and want their approval? Are there any relationships in your life that you are too desperate to see that person's approval? I want to ask you, what would change in those moments if you live to please God more than do you live to please that person? Just think about that. And lastly, just as we reflect on Paul taking time out to spend some time by himself, I want to encourage you, how committed are you this year to spending some time with God? Just to spend some time with other believers, the church community as well, and to spend some time telling other people the story of grace that's touched your life. Three things. Let's talk about. The, let's think about those things as we break bread. I'm going to pray. And I want to ask you to. Um, there's three tables. This here, four. Oh, sorry. There's four. One, two, three, four. And then we're going to serve each other. And maybe you want to just pray. Maybe you want to spend some time reflecting yourself. And then maybe you want to pray with your family, with your friends. But let's ask God to do that in us this year, huh? It's going to be a great year, fruitful year, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Paul's amazing testimony. I want to thank you, Lord, for how you transformed him. I want to thank you too, Lord, for that encouragement that you gave me this week with C.S. Lewis's story of how you um, transformed him and you revealed yourself to him. And Father, whether we are head people or whether we are heart people, I pray that we would not box each other. I pray, Lord, that we would give space, that we would love you with our minds and we would love you with our hearts. And the good thing that you've done in us, that we would be bold to share that with our friends, our families, those that um, perhaps we've been trusting you to move in their lives for many years and haven't seen it. We ask, Lord, that this year we would see much fruit in this church community. And I pray, Lord, above all, that love would motivate us, love for you and love for each other. And I thank you, Lord, that you transform all kinds of people, whatever our character, whatever our background, our personality, you transform us all and we are all becoming like your son. And so we want to rejoice in the good news of your grace in our lives. And I pray, Lord, as we break bread this morning, that as we reflect on these things, you would just uh, bring to mind the one thing that you're speaking to us at the beginning of this year, and it will be different from, for all of us, but we trust you for that, Father. We just ask that you'd continue to speak as we pray and fast together in the next couple of weeks, that you would continue to speak. We might hear your heart this year for what you have for us as a church community. And we bless you for every good thing that you've poured out upon us and every good thing that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.